Hello and welcome to another episode of Inside the Pod, the PGRO podcast. In today's episode, Emily Scaife will be speaking to Ben Adams, a farmer based in Oxfordshire who's been running intercropping trials. They will be talking about Ben's experience with intercropping, what went right, what went wrong and what he thinks about intercropping. Hi Ben, thank you for your time. Um, Let's get started. If you could just tell me a little bit about yourself and the farm, that would be brilliant. Yeah, so focused around uh, combinable cropping, around mainly a wheat rotation, um, and been playing with intercropping on and off for the last few years, trialling different mixes and stuff, and saw there was a bit of, um, I suppose you say a bit of light at the end of the tunnel, there's definitely something in it. Um, so it's basically just something I wanted to scale up and keep going with, um, and saw the funding uh, for the School of Sustainable Food and Farming. We're doing a net zero competition. Um, so I thought the intercropping would be great for that. Um, so kind of wangled my case to prove it's net zero qualities, I suppose you'd say. Um, and then got the funding for it. So managed to really scale up my trials, I guess, um, and managed to go a little bit mad with it all. So it's great fun. <laughs> so how did you first get involved in intercropping what do you remember kind of what first attracted you to give it a go um so it was originally because of andy howard nuffield scholar i'm sure if you're doing a bit of intercropping you're well aware of he came to the farm i think it was in 2020 um and we were looking for break crops at the time and dad had met him at grounds well um we just invited him in for a bit of a chat a bit of a look around and See if you had any ideas. Um, we were toying with the idea of spring linseed at the time. Andy said we were worried about flax flea beetle, as most people are worried about cabbage stem flea beetle with oilseed rape. And he said, um, just grow it with some companion oats. Um, and they act as a very good deterrent for the flax flea beetle. And that's what we tried. Worked really well. We didn't take the, um, the spring oats to harvest um but yeah no it was really easy it worked well and I thought about doing other things and then moved on to like peas and oats for example and played around with that for a couple of years um and yeah just wanted to scale up from there really so it was all Andy's fault basically <laughs> blame him brilliant yeah. um so tell me about those initial experiments I suppose what what did anything surprise you? Did it do exactly what you thought it would do? Uh, it did mainly what I thought it would do. It was interesting trying to figure out how to do it well with timings and variety and like the maturities, that sort of thing was interesting and kind of gave a bit of a baptism by fire into the separating and the drilling and the harvesting and kind of how to make it all work because it was kind of, we weren't really sure. We were just kind of going along and seeing what would happen. Um, so all of that was we knew there would be issues but i mean none that we couldn't um overcome um i think the thing that just kind of stood out was just how healthy the crops looked the, the, the entire time and the susceptibility to pests and disease i thought okay there's something definitely in this um so then it was just the kind of the the scaling up and the refining almost is what I'm working on now and how to make best use out of them I think so the initial crop that you did what was that sorry that was oats um, um so I 
the the first crops that I took to harvest, both of them to harvest, was peas and oats. I did okay. that for a, for a couple of years. And then did you decide not to do that again or to go in another direction? What have you done since? Yeah, I decided with uh, Ed Crockett, with all my different trials that I was doing, um, yeah, I was just going to be doing that instead rather than doing the, the peas and oats anymore because it was just a di bit difficult due to the maturity dates. Right, I see. Because is that something that's quite tricky, picking two that you can harvest at a similar time? Or a little bit, yeah. logistically a bit tricky? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it can be managed to some degree and crops do senesce together i think i think when the crops start senescing they go off ethylene i think is the right word um and they do bring the other crops maturity so they they do come together a bit more than you would expect i definitely i can definitely see that um looking over the hedge at other crops for example but um yeah but you it is something that needs planning and thinking about is the maturity okay so talk me about what you're up to at the moment um so just harvested my two trial fields basically so 16 and a half hectares and what i've got across those two fields is nine different mixes um those are including three different legumes peas beans and vetch two different cereals um oats and barley and then two brassicas mustard and oilseed rape so they're all spring planted um, in, in either two or three way mixes um, after a overwinter cover crop. They've just been the cover crop was just glyphosated off and all these um, all these seeds were all planted together at the same time down the same spout um, and basically have had zero inputs the whole way the whole way through. Um, and they were they have been, all been harvested now. Um, so now it's just the separation it comes afterwards and me trying to figure out what the yields were and and doing all of the financials really. Um, Obviously, you said that you've got to yeah. you've got to work out the um, the figures and such, but just from what it looked like, do you think it made a difference with yield? Um, I don't know to be honest with you because. It's going to be tricky to compare unless you're doing side by side comparisons. And I mean, if I was doing that as well, then Christ, it would be complicated. But I mean, maybe that's something I can do in the future. And with the leguminose trials that are going on across the UK and the EU at the moment, they are looking into that. Um, but the trouble is, I find so I, I do spring oats normally, for example, I do peas normally, but they will, for example, oats will receive muck and fertilizer and herbicide and peas will receive a herbicide and maybe a fungicide so it's not really a true comparison so I, I can make comparisons to crops with inputs like I could compare to my neighbours barley and beans that were close by for example or our own oats and peas but it's not going to be a real true comparison um, but yields were as expected I think all I think the trials the ones that done well will be around three to four ton um, a hectare combined and the ones that didn't do so well will be probably about two to three tons per hectare um but the point of the trials was to really give a a baseline for yields to say that well they're they're no-till drilled and they've had absolutely zero inputs it can only get better from here is is the theory behind it all it was a kind of a baseline to work up from if you will
Right, I see. So did you notice anything in particular um, as they were growing? Were there any kind of partnerships that surprised you in terms of how well they did? Or um, I would say yes, but I can't give any specific examples because if I'll be honest with you, the trials, they literally changed week by week. Something that looked good, then in two weeks time ended up not looking so good. And then the other one looked good and I think I changed my favourite plot about seven times throughout the year on what looked good and what didn't. Um, I mean, they all look good at one point. Um, and then by harvest, some might have looked bad. So it was just really interesting to see how the crops developed over time. Probably the, the most, well, they all had the different quirks and stuff. But for example, with the peas and oilseed rape, um, the oilseed rate with the peas looked better than the oilseed rate with the beans um, at the start for ages. I don't know, it, it had less less pest damage on it, um, insect damage that is, um, and the crops looked bigger and healthier. But then as time went on, the peas suddenly hit their, I don't know, their later growth stage, I suppose you'd say, and all their energy went into stem extension and suddenly the peas were four foot tall and you couldn't see an oilseed rape crop underneath. And I thought, oh dear. So the, the beans and oilseed rape then looked a lot better because um, that oilseed rape has still had light through the canopy um, between the bean stems, so it's still growing. Um, and then when the peas started to senesce and fall, well, not fall over, but go down in a little bit, it allowed the oilseed rape to then start growing again and come up. Um, and interestingly, black grass in that plot was also a lot taller than in the other plots because it had, had to compete with the, with those peas. So it obviously put all of its energy into stem extension as well. Um, so yeah, it was just interesting how they all changed over time and maybe at some points complemented each other and at other points competed with each other. But yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? I suppose yeah. it's a, a bit of a process of elimination, really, trying to figure out what they might do. Well, um, it is. And ultimately, it's all going to come down to the yield and financials. But I mean, they were all, all the crops throughout the entire season were extremely healthy the whole way through. Um, in regards to disease control, the beans, oats, barley and peas. They were also three-way variety mixes, which I think helped. Um, and it only seemed to be as the crops started to senesce, some of the beans um, had some rust on and it was only as the plants were really dying off that you saw the disease start to come in into any of the, any of the crops and they looked really healthy throughout the entire time. Did, uh, did the weather create headaches for you was it was it a particularly tricky year do you think that might have had an impact um, yes the yields won't be as good because of the drilling date so the the dates for drilling were the 18th and 19th of april which was a lot later than i would have hoped um i kind of divided the two fields into crops that were more susceptible to frosts and cross crops that weren't so susceptible um so i wanted to get those mostly <clears throat> bean and oat plots which weren't as susceptible to frosts in a lot earlier I mean ideally they would have gone in at the start of March to be honest but I mean because of the season that's just what happens um the peas and barley 
we're in the more susceptible frosts um, with the mustard in the more susceptible cross crop field, um, which was probably okay on the 19th of April being drilled. But I mean, that could have easily gone in at the start of April. But yeah, it's one of them, can't complain. Other than that, there was plenty of moisture and plenty of sun throughout the rest of the um, late spring and summer. So they would have put on some good growth, but obviously not as much as they would have been earlier. Yeah. So what are the next steps? Are you planning on doing all of the same again next year? Or um, so the next steps with the two fields is they're going to be followed by a winter wheat crop. Um, so I'll basically that, that winter wheat crop will be blanket treated all the same. So it'll be interesting to see how the different, um, well, residues or any remaining nitrogen or chopped straw or anything um, benefits or hinders the following wheat crop. Um, and then after that, so which will be my year three, I'll go back into trials again and just to see, I'm basically going to be carrying on what did well. Um, so there won't be nine nine plots that this time. Um, I don't know how many there'll be, to be honest. I'll, it depends on the financials um, or if I want to wiggle any of them slightly or change seed rates. And kind of the plan is just to do it a bit better, um, learn, learn from uh, the first year and try again. Are there any particular lessons that you've learned that you'll be bearing in mind with that? <clears throat> Spring oilseed rape is an absolute pain. Um, I won't be, I won't be including spring oilseed rape. Everyone told me not to include it. It won't work and blah, blah, blah. But I don't listen to anyone. I have to find these things out for myself. So, um, yeah, just to put that into context, uh, <laughs> when we were harvesting the spring beans, which was, I mean, it was barely two weeks ago, I think, um, kind of early to mid, early early September sort of time the spring oilseed rape was still flowering so yeah it the oilseed rape flowered and then it started setting seed and then it started flowering again so yeah I gave up with that um still harvested it to see if there was anything in there but yeah so I mean the peas when they were ready in mid mid August and I mean they were just about to ready to fall out the pods and the oilseed rape was just bright green oh, I was like right great <laughs> that's not your favorite one basically no, so it won't be included um but on the other hand mustard that was really easy to grow um fairly easy to combine absolutely no signs of any well i mean it does it does get nibbled a little bit by flea beetle when it first comes out but i mean nowhere near to a crop loss or anything like that um and yeah growing growing that on i think that's definitely going to be included in next year's well week after year after next um yeah just because of how easy it was to grow um and the maturity worked quite well alongside peas as well did that so, surprise you was it something that you'd grown before no never grown it in it's been in like bird bird cover mixes and in cover crops but no never never taken it to harvest okay um, so that was a nice surprise <laughs> yeah so i think for for people to, wanting to grow on their own cover crops or stuff for bird seed mixtures i think it it's probably one that's fairly easy to be honest um yeah i was quite surprised on how easy it was so yeah that will that will feature again so i take it that you are sold on intercropping yes. um moving forwards what when other farmers come to you and say that they're considering it what kind of advice do you give to them give it a go 
<laughs> Why <laughs> not? Simple. Yeah, there's there's not a lot to lose, really. I, I I mean, the things that used to be a bit of a a challenge. I mean, the maturity wise, you ju it just needs a bit of careful planning. The drilling and establishment is fairly easy. There's lots of split hopper drills, or I mean, drills can be you can you can do the drilling in two passes if you really want to. Small seeds, I mean, they can be just done for a slug pellet or something easy. Um, the harvesting is fairly easy. A lot of people have asked me, so um, I've, I've done a video on how I set up the combine for oilseed drape oats and beans together. So I'm going to put that on a YouTube video because lots of people keep asking me. Um, and it's just a bit of a compromise between the settings on the internal bits and pieces on the combine. Um, but the most, the, the biggest barrier and what most people ask me is the separation. And I think until until it becomes a bit more of a norm, that, that is always going to be the biggest barrier for people. Um, we, we've got a rotary rotary sieve cleaner which um dad has just told me he started doing some stuff on today to see if he can do some of the mixes um so we're going to try and get them semi-cleaned through that and then get in a color sorter um at the start of october which isn't cheap about 250 pounds an hour um to get that in and then to kind of tidy up um and hopefully i can put a cost on that which will obviously be inflated because I'm doing lots of different ones and there's lots of different logistics and sorting trailers and weighing things and that if you if you just did one intercrop, for example, you just have one setting loaded all in and then it'll all come out and it'd be a lot easier. But yeah, trials are always fun. <laughs> so I um I think I either cut you off rudely or um it was just briefly mentioned, but the <clears throat> competition that you won with farmers guardian um mm. was it journey to net zero yeah. um so talk to me about that what what did you put forward and how does it work um so it was it was yeah so it was the journey to net zero competition it was run by the school of sustainable food and farming which is at harper adams um harper adams is one of the sponsors including uh, Bradford Estates, Morrison's, McDonald's, NFU and Trinity. Um, and they were basically looking at innovative trials and practices and and ways for agriculture to reach net zero effectively. Um, and this was my way. There was, there was three other winners apart from myself. Um, I think there were over 100 applicants. Um, and my idea was basically growing crops with legumes so yeah that's one thing I didn't mention all of the crops are, are either a legume with a cereal with a brassica or with a cereal and a brassica um so eliminating fertilizer use and trying to use the land equivalent ratio method to have a land equivalent ratio of more than one basically so more than 100% yield so that that was my example using less inputs and hopefully for more outputs um, was my argument fantastic have you has intercropping has it saved you money in other respects do you know so far so you said about no inputs is that something uh, yeah in, regard, in regards to the variable costs I mean apart from a a pre-drilling glyphosate there hasn't been any so yeah it's definitely saved costs in that regard 
Um, I mean, you still got to cover your fixed costs at the end of the day, but there'll be a lot less machinery depreciation from not a lot going through it. Yeah. Um, one one thing I tried to focus on is I wanted all the crops to either be used as a cash crop or to be available to be used as a cover crop. Um, okay because cover crops are quite expensive, buying them on their own, often a few pounds a kilo. So I wanted to grow things like mustard and vetch. And <clears throat> well, I mean, I even use, I use peas, barley, oats and beans in my cover crops anyway, but um, just as a way to see if there are any viable methods of growing your own cover crops really. Um, but also in regards to finances, can't forget with the sustainable farming incentive um, that just came out this Monday for applications, companion, all of, so my trials that I've done uh, will be available, kind of how, I, how I've run them, they will be available for the companion cropping payment of £55, the no insecticide of £45, the winter cover crops of £129 and the assessing soil of £6 a hectare. So, I mean, that's, what is that, 100, 229, £235 a hectare for doing what I'm doing already. Um, <laughs> and there's talk of next year being a no-till or direct drilling payment, anywhere from 50 to 125, and also a precision farming approach of anywhere from 10 to 50. So, I mean, without even planting a crop, next year there could be 295 to £410 a hectare available as a bonus for doing what oh. I'm doing. Um, yeah, for doing what you're doing yeah. already. I obviously Fantastic. don't know. I don't want it to be viable just just because there's a grant for it. I don't want to go do intercropping because it's, it's a worthwhile practice, but it's good to see that DEFRA is obviously knows that or has figured out that companion cropping is very beneficial. Mm. Um, I think it's brilliant they've put a payment behind it um, hopefully incentivize yeah. a few more people to think about it. Is that something that you're quite passionate about uh, communicating the benefits and trying to get other people involved? Because I suppose, like you said, when it becomes more mainstream, then mm. there might be more kit available and stuff to, to help you out in it. Like you said about um, the sorting at the end. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm, I'm all over social media and I get asked all the time questions about intercropping. Um yeah, I love it. I, lo I love that people are interested in it and I'm still interested in it and I'm still learning. A lot of people are asking me questions that I don't know yet. Um, and yeah, it's the give it a go approach. You can't you can't move forward if you're standing still. You've got to try these things. So, yeah, no, I love it. And the more, more and more people talk about it, yeah, there'll be more, more chance of innovative technologies coming along. And I think the definite, the thing you've got to focus on is, is the separation post-harvest. That is the number one barrier. Everything yeah. before that is is fairly easy to overcome and not too challenging. Um, yeah, it's the post-harvest logistics. Yeah, I imagine that maybe that puts off some people at the moment, but hopefully mm -hmm. it's a bit of a chicken and egg situation, isn't it? They're not going to create these things until more people need them. Yeah. Um, but it might put people off doing it in the first place if they don't have those things. So hopefully at some point they'll be uh, they'll meet in the middle and there'll be that brilliant yeah, I, mean, I, don't know. I mean you can always just say go and feed it to pigs or chickens or something but as a, as a mix or cows I mean whatever it is very easy for livestock feeds I mean it's a it's a it's a no-brainer really um but if you're wanting to sell them as actual cash crops it does it does take a little bit more 
Yes. Um, but yeah, having a having a waste a waste stream like a animal just to consume a mix. I mean, that's that's a great idea. Yeah, and it does feel like that idea is getting a little bit more traction at the moment as people mm. try and cut down on that cost and not use soya, don't import soya and things like that. And that's it for today's episode. If you want to find out more about Ben's intercropping trials or his farm life in general, head to his YouTube channel at Ben Adams Agri. Or if you just want to know more about intercropping in general, head to the PGRO website at pgro.org. Thanks for listening and we'll see you in the next episode.